0: A pair of Western Conference teams get dissected, and are they for real? We have a few contract extensions. We got some injuries. The Department of Player Safety is sending a lot of mixed messages. And Brett's Bruins made a tree Did I forget anything else, or did something big happen with my team?
1: Uh, yeah, a couple of things happened to, you, uh, to your team.
0: Uh, I'm going to need a pina colada after this podcast. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh,
0: of course, the Ottawa Senators did do something. Uh, that'll be in our main topic because they're going to be making a lot of waves, I feel, uh, between now and Monday. And uh, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. So if you're wondering, what about all the other trades that happen on Monday? We'll get to that in our trade deadline special next week. We might have a special guest, we're working on it, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But before we get into today's podcast, we're gonna delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia as we do every week. Brett, are you ready for this week's question?
1: I am, yes.
0: All right, question 48. How many different team championships from junior titles to the NHL and international crowns has Scott Niedermeyer won? In case you're wondering uh, if you saw on uh, the internet, Scott Niedermeyer had his number retired uh, by the Anaheim Ducks about a week ago. So a fitting that we have a Scott Niedermeyer question for today's podcast. So uh, I'll read it again because um, wording is important here. How many different team championships from junior titles to the NHL and international crowns has Scott Niedermeyer won in his career? Is it A, four different titles? B, five different titles. C, six different titles. Or D, seven different titles.
1: Um, I know Scott Niedermeyer. I always get his, his brother confused with each other. So I've. I know. I think they were on the Ducks together, if that's right. Or, um. Or the Devils. One of those two. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know they're juniors, so this is like a complete shot in the dark. So I'm going to go yeah. with six, six titles, or I don't know.
0: You're going with six? Yep. Well, your gut didn't fill you this time, buddy. Six is wow. the correct answer. Yeah. I
1: thought, I thought they were going to go with like the highest amount, which I think was eight, because, <laughs> just because it's like, oh, it's Scott Niedemeyer, like, why, yeah, would I, so- why else would they do it? Yeah yeah so
0: for those so for those curious so i'll tell you what he won uh he won a world junior championship with canada that was in 1991. he won a memorial cup with the Kamloops Can- blazers in 1992. uh he won four stanley cups um three with new jersey in 1995 2000 2003 and he of course was a part of the ducks title in 2007. he won two olympic gold in 2002 and 2010 with the team canada he won a double IHF World Championship with Canada in two thousand. Same year in 2004, he won the World Cup of Hockey as a member of Team Canada. So there you go, six different titles for Scott Niedermeyer.
1: That seems like a lot more than six, so oh, well. <laughs> I guess I, I can't complain, because I got it right. Um,
0: it says six different titles. So like he obviously uh, won the Stanley Cup more than, four, more than once. God, he won I it four it. times. Okay. But six different titles is the right answer. Well, that's anyways, tr-
1: anyways, you're right. So Okay, that's that seems kind of unfair. If I got that wrong, I would have been upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, uh, so yeah, four big trades happened um, this week. Um, this weekend? Well, actually, no, this week. Um, and uh, yeah, so I tried to order them in order of... Um, Not really important, but uh, they, so four trades happened, but there are six teams that were involved. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. because Columbus and Ottawa um, traded uh, twice this week and. Yeah, um,
0: twice twice
1: in two days. Something like that, yeah. Uh, So the first, the biggest trade, um, which we would have covered regardless, um, first, uh, was, uh, Matt Duchesne is going to Columbus for a 2019 first, a 2020 first conditional. Um, so that's if Duchesne resigns, Vitaly Abramoff, Jonathan Davidson. Um, before I get to you on your thoughts, um, I should say that the, uh, the 2019 first round selection pick is a top three, uh, pick, um protected uh so the senators w- but so if the Columbus somehow misses the playoffs and they somehow get into the top three uh that's gonna be Columbus's pick but then yeah. the senators will receive the 1st round selection instead um and then um we mentioned th- which seems kind of unlikely to happen but it is kind of funny when you think about it because like Columbus is like we know what happened the last time Matt Duchesne yeah, was traded. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want the same thing to happen again, um, even if it's very unlikely that it's going to happen. So um, I thought that, that's kind of interesting there. Also, you would think like maybe they would protect it for next year as well. Because if Duchesne signs a 2019-20 contract with the Blue Jackets, Ottawa will receive uh, Columbus's 2020 first round th- pick. If the 2019 pick moves to a 2020 as a result of the lottery, and Duchene signs with Columbus, the 2020 conditional pick would then move to 2021. So uh, it seems like what could happen. Well, already the 2019 first round pick is the uh, is the Senators unless it's a top three pick, and then. Columbus gets, or uh, Senators get, like, the next two first-round picks um, regardless. Um, So, uh, I have some stats on Vitaly Abramoff as well and Jonathan Davidson. Um, Abramoff was actually, like, a monster in the QMJHL a couple years ago. Uh, he, He had, like, 104 points in 66 games for Gatineau um and then uh, last year he had a rat he was traded in QMjHL there and he had about like a hundred um and 10 points I think in 56 games so that's very yeah, good yeah he, he,
0: o- he had over 40 goals and 100 points yeah. in back to back years
1: um yeah. and he uh, he's slumping a little bit in the AHL. Um, he has 22 points in 52 games for Cle- the Cleveland Monsters. He's now going off to Belleville. Uh, the interesting thing about him is is that he's both like a right winger and a left winger. He's only 20 years old um, and he's five foot nine inches. So he's one of those like Johnny Gaudreau types where yeah. um, he was drafted late um, even though he definitely has a ton of skill clearly from the QMJHL but um, this is like a, this is a pretty good prospect for you because like, sure, he, uh, he's struggling a little bit in the AHL, but, um, I, I have a feeling that he could, uh, continue to be, um, he could be a legit NHL player, um, in a couple years. Um, and then Jonathan Davidson, um, is, uh, he's now in the SHL. Um, he's had a couple, he's, he hasn't had a as impressive as Abramoff, but they're still not terrible either. He has 21 points in 36 games in the SHL, um, for Jura Gardens, um, (laughs) on a loan, I guess there. Um, and, uh, so yeah, he's in the Swedish league right now. Um, but yeah, he could be something. He's 21 years old. Um, but he could be something as well. um, Matt Shane I guess, has had a career year. He has 59 points in 52 games. He's already played for Columbus twice, and he's had a he had a goal um, yesterday. Um, it was funny too because he was pl- like Columbus and Ottawa were playing on the day that he was traded, so he was playing yeah. in Ottawa. Um,
0: yeah, and, and, and when he was traded from Colorado to Ottawa, both teams went to Sweden, so he quickly played yeah. against his former team as so, well. Yeah, exactly. that's so, happened twice.
1: So it is kind of funny there. Um, I um, I guess I should take it to you, since you are the Sens fan, um, I do have some thoughts on this trade as well, but I'll, I, I figured I'd give you the information and then you can roll with it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so... Um, Vitaly Abramov, I've heard some pretty good things about this kid, uh, specifically, uh, his magical hands, his, his talent uh, is is definitely one of the best amongst Columbus's crop of prospects. Um, and we, we talk about uh, his consecutive 40 goals, uh, see, uh, his consecutive seasons of at least 40 goals and 100 points. He scored 38 goals and 93 points in 63 games as a QMJHL rookie with the Olympics. So. His rookie year was pretty solid as well. And he had 13 points in 10 playoff games during his rookie year, along with seven goals. So um, definitely a very talented player in the QMJHL. Um, The fact that he has 12 goals and 22 points in 52 games, that might sound like there's a lot of growing pains. When you look at the Cleveland Monsters roster, he might be the eighth highest scorer on the team their leading score has 32 their leading score is 32 points so he's 10 points behind the leading score so there's not much separation at all also tied for third and goal scored on the monsters um sherwood milano and bittner have been uh hyped pretty good in their early years but don't mistake uh april his talent he, he could play a really huge role for the Sens. i wholeheartedly agree with you on that um of course, uh, Jonathan Davidson, you know, you, you add him into the mix, you know, he, he could be something. He's not a huge right-wing presence. He's only five foot eleven, but um, the Sens are one of those teams that need help on the wings, and maybe you could see him in the NHL someday. I think the return when it came to first-round picks was going to be key for Ottawa. They they got at least one first in this deal. Um, it's probably not a pick because of the way that uh, Columbus has been operating the past couple of days um there are chances of trading Panarin probably aren't going to happen if it involves draft picks i read somewhere on twitter that uh, kekulin um is only going to think about trading panarin if uh if it makes sense for the short and the long term yeah. so he's not going to trade him for draft picks he's going to trade him for assets that help this team right now yeah. so um i i think i think maybe columbus is more in more all-out mode they're going all in and seeing what they can do um and i think ottawa was wise to to pounce on that and get some good futures out of columbus in this deal they're not going to be lottery picks but you know what the sense have had some success in the later first rounds a la thomas shabbat a la colin white uh drafting and developing those guys if they continue to draft it and these first round picks could turn into into some valuable assets um and um matthew Sheen is open to anything so maybe he signs with columbus and i'll round pick out of that um taking a look at what the jackets got oh, because can't. i think that's what everyone's wanting to look at here oh
1: um
0: from a columbus perspective this is huge Because when when you talk about the Blue Jackets and where they sit in the Metro, they needed scoring depth. Outside of Panarin, outside of Atkinson, they needed scoring depth. And after consistently producing 50 to 60 points a year in Colorado, Duchesne has one bad season, 18 goals and 41 points after a 30-goal campaign, minus 34 rating on top of that. And last year, after a slow start with Ottawa... He found his groove. Campaign with 27 goals and 59 points in 82 games. 23 goals to Ottawa in 68 games. And already this year, he's two points away from breaking 60. He's actually one because he scored yesterday. Um, and I believe he's also um, surpassed his goal total from last year because he scored. He now has 28 goals last year. He had 27 um his shooting percentage is around 20 as well and he did that on a sense team that could generate a lot of offense as a top six forward but outside of the top six um they were kind of hurting a little bit so um getting someone to help pierre Luc dubois down the middle uh giving uh giving them offense besides artemi panarin besides cam atkinson i definitely think in the short term it it makes the columbus blue jackets a tougher team to play against now the real question is can they keep them beyond this year and i'm honestly not sure because it all depends on what happens with panarin and bobrovsky in the off season and i think that that's going to determine if Duchesne stays, because I think Matt Duchesne is going to go where the best chance to win is.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I kind of like this trade for both teams um, a lot. Uh, Columbus gets a strong. Like it was funny when we were when we did our trade dead, trade bait episode a couple weeks ago, and when we talked about Panarin and Bobrovsky. Yeah, uh, we kept on like we kept on talking about like. why it would make sense to trade them, um, and then why it would make sense to not trade them. And I didn't even really think about like, oh, why didn't they just, like they could just go all in and like treat Panarin and Bobrovsky as a rental um, and try to get a guy like Duchenne, try to get a guy like Kevin Hayes, Zuccarello, whoever else, because you know that this is gonna be your last shot at getting your play, like getting Panarin-level players and Bobrovsky-level players, um, at the point, as well as the fact that, like, the Metro division isn't as strong as it usually is, uh, I mean, sure the Capitals and the Penguins are always a scary threat, but it's not, like, they're as scary, um, in years previous, so it's like, if you're gonna make a run, it it should be right now, um. And, um, so I, I like this idea and I feel like Matt Duchesne is, um, regardless of what happens at the trade deadline, Matt Duchesne is the best player that's, uh, that could be traded if you're not trading Panarin, that's assuming. So, so you have both Duchesne, Panarin, you have Bobrovsky, um, and Dezingle now, which we'll get into in a bit, but like, you know, that's a solid core, uh, for now, in the, in the, you know, uh, for your playoff push, and in the playoffs, that could be something, that, um, you know, that could go far in the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure if that that's enough to beat Tampa, um, come east, come when they all go to the ECF, yeah. but, but it is enough to beat. Uh, to get into the second round, which is something Columbus hasn't even done in their franchise history, so yeah, in that, they
0: never won a series. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so that's something that, um, that's gonna like that's gonna help them throughout. Just from a fan's perspective, like, sure, like they may not make it to the Stanley Cup final, um, but like just from a fan perspective, it's like, okay, well, we got farther than we ever got before, um. Just by just by this thing, and maybe that's enough to to keep uh, Duchesne, Panarin, or Bobrovsky interested long term if they can get some playoff success there. Um, of and the course, da-
0: the, da- the danger is though if it doesn't work out like that, yep. and Panarin and Bobrovsky leave, then they just gave up True. a first round pick and one of their best
1: prospects. Yeah, no, of course. And there there is that risk, of course, but I think it's a risk worth taking. Um mm-hmm. I have a feeling that Duchesne will likely resign with the Blue Jackets assuming that they make it they make it to the second round or further cuz they have enough room and I don't know if Panarin or Brubofsky are going to go i think it it is definitely risky because now you have um <laughs> you used to have two big rentals now you have three big you have three uh four big rentals and including you have Renski to sign as an rfa so um so i have a Gee, th-
0: it, it, it kind of reminds me of a situation where i'm thinking off the top of my head oh yeah the team i cheer
1: for oh yeah the sanders yeah but it, it is Actually, speaking of which, I think I—I—I I paraphrasing here, but I think I saw that Duchene was saying is that um, his uh, his willingness to leave had a lot to do with his unser- the uncertainty of where mm-hmm. Dezingle and Stone were going to go, and then yeah, he goes he, to a... And
0: he said he said the offer that Ottawa gave to him yeah. was fair, so it's not yeah. about money
1: either. And it was just funny that like he he now goes to a team that also has even more uncertainty. Um, yeah. I, Um, debatably, arguably. So it's uh, it was just funny there. Um, as for Ottawa, uh, they needed a first round pick. That's the most important thing. Um, I, I kind of I I like uh where Ibramoff is. He seems like he could uh thrive um in a in a in an environment. It seems like he has that. Like, um, I'm short, but. I can, uh, I can st- I'm can, I still skilled enough to beat you like so many NHL players do now with like Goudreau, Patrick Kane, um, even like guys like Connor Garland uh, nowadays. It seems like, you know, it doesn't matter what size you are. You can- if you can play, you can play. So um, I feel like Abramov has a good chance of being really good. Obviously he's not <laughs> at a Johnny Goudreau level or a uh, Patrick Kane level, but he uh, he could be a, a legit player there in the NHL. Um, and then, um, yeah, Jonathan Davidson is one of those, like, shots, but, you know, I think it all comes down to that first-round pick, and especially if Duchesne signs, um, then you have two first-round picks, and I'm sure that you, you're probably going to give, the Senators are probably going to give um, the Avalanche the first overall pick or the second overall pick, but, um, you know, just considering that there's a potential where Columbus is gonna give you all these picks, um, it's, it's, you know, that's a pretty good deal, um, for, for the Senators, um, just in terms of futures, cause it's like, yeah, it's gonna s- suck to lose out on possibly getting Jack Hughes or Capo Caco, but at the same time, you're, um, you know, you're just loading up on futures and loading up on all the, like you have a pretty good prospect pool now, uh, Steve. So it's, um, so it's, things are looking up. I like to be optimistic in these kind of situations, but, uh, we'll see in a couple of years how it uh, actually all went down. Um, that brings us to, uh, Ryan Zingle. um, and I guess, Oh, by the way, Julius Bergman also is going to Columbus in that Duchenne trade. Um,
0: yeah, uh, I, he didn't last long in Ottawa either, because if you recall, and and Steve Dangle uh, unfortunately got this mistaken in his synopsis. Julius Bergman was not a part of the Carlson trade. He was a part of the Mike Hoffman trade, because uh, I think, in fairness to him, a lot of people forgot, oh, yeah, Mike, Mike Hoffman was a shark before he was a panther. Because he was traded uh, there and then flopped uh, to Florida the same day. Oh,
1: uh, so, I see. Okay.
0: Yeah. Either way, he was Shark's property. And now he's no longer since property less than a year later. Yep. So, yeah. He was um, included in the Duchesne package.
1: Yeah. Um, and then uh, Dezingle and Calgary's 2019 seventh round pick, which was uh, formerly Ottawa's pick. Uh, they uh, So Dezingle goes to Columbus for Anthony Duclair. A 2022nd and a 2021 second as well. Um, so <laughs> the funny thing here is is that if Duchesne signs, resigns with Columbus, uh, that means that Ottawa gets Columbus's first and second um, of, of of Ryan Zingle. Uh, Ryan Dezingle has had a career year this year. Um, 44 points in 57 games, he had 41 points last year, uh, which was his previously uh, high, um, high number. He's also from Ohio, he went to Ohio State, um, so uh, it looks like he's a hometown boy kind of thing. I know that uh, Yarmo Kekalainen said that they're gonna re-sign him, um, or their, their plan is to re-sign him already, and uh, Dzingel is on board with that. So it seems like there's a good mix there. As for the Ottawa side of things, um, they they don't get their first round pick uh, like we thought that Dezingle would get, but at the same time, <laughs> we already got, they already got Columbus's first round pick from the Duchesne trade, so there's that. Also, uh, they get Anthony Duclair, which is gonna be his fourth team. In like two years, um, it seems like. However, it does seem like it's going to. It was kind of like um, uh, a mess out there for Anthony Duclair because he uh, got um, he, uh, he uh, John Tortorella is not his biggest fan. Um, I don't think we said it in the show, but uh, he. I guess I can paraphrase here because I do have the quote out here, but. Um, DuClair, um, like Tortorello says that he's not sure if he can really play, um, hockey. Like, just there's a listening issue there. And maybe it's an attitude issue, but either way, it seems like, um, he, it made sense for him to be, uh, gone to and get a new experience somewhere else. Um, he did have 19 points in 53 games. Um, this year, although I think most of those were in October. Um, so he did start out well, but I guess um, Tortorella is not the biggest fan of Anthony Duclair and that was the big reason why he was sent out. So yeah, it's good to have, give him like some time, maybe he'll be something, maybe not, but um, it is something. And Ryan Dezingle, um, he's one of, it was funny because I, I sort of was hearing that the Bruins may be able to get him And I was just thinking, like, um, how, um, how, like, 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 I was talking myself into it, and then, um, and then a couple minutes later, I see that he's going to, um, Columbus with, uh, with Matt Duchesne, so it's just, uh, funny, but, um, yeah, no, it seems like he's gonna be, he's a good top six, top nine kind of player, um, and something that, um, just an added depth piece for columbus uh to use in this playoff push
0: yeah um it's it's interesting also because apparently cap friendly um rhymed off a a handful of teams that had enough cap space to (laughs) take on all three of ottawa's pending ufas and columbus was one of them yep and now they have two of Ottawa's three top six forwards yeah. um, that are set to go on the market this year. They could acquire 41% of the center's offense this year. They, all they need is Mark Stone. Um, Ryan Dezingle has accounted for 22 goals and 44 points. In 57 games, that's not bad. Uh, two goals shy from his career high, could hit 30 by the end of the year. Um, he's already had back-to-back 40-plus point campaigns. Uh, his shooting percentage is also at 16% in each of the past two years. Um, so uh, on the surface, it's one of those trades where it kind of seems even on both sides. Yep. Um, regarding to Claire, you're right, uh, he was in towards his house for a while. It didn't sound like he had much of a future with the Blue Jackets. Um, the consistency maybe it was a bit of an issue. Um, It was more of the same issues that that plagued him uh, in his previous stints with teams like Chicago, teams like Arizona. And it's. I I feel like there's some untapped potential there um, based on his 20-goal, 40-point season in his rookie year. Maybe it's just that he's not playing on a team that complements his strengths enough. Maybe Guy Boucher can get something out of Duclair that the other coaches couldn't, maybe his system works better with Duclair's. Um, but when you look at his stats for the past two and a half years, 27 goals compared to 20 in his rookie year, and he's played 167 games during those 27 goals, uh, 57 combined points as well, it, it it's definitely a warning sign that his NHL career already at the age of 23 is nearing the end of the line um but now the question becomes okay well does ottawa have the talent to get the best out of him and this year i don't know if they do so yeah. um he he might be one of those cheap off-season guys that they bring back for like one year at 1.5 million where it's just like show us what you got kid um right. and i i i honestly don't know what to expect out of anthony Duclair. i hope he turns out okay but um, it, it 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 remains it remains to be seen um, yeah. what his future is going to be like in Ottawa. Like you said, uh, the future in general for the Sens it's not as bleak as it seems, or as I think it seems some days.
1: Right. I mean, I uh, I, I talked to you out of the ledge, I think on on Thursday <laughs> was it. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, they still have guys like Drake Batherson. They yep. still have Logan Brown. They still have Rudolph Balsters who's got some playing time. They still have Phillip Josh Goose Norris. Uh, they, still have si- they still have to sign. They still to sign him. But Gustafson. Um, they have Josh Norris in the fold for now. They have Alex Foremanson, Colin White, and Brady Kachuk already in. Uh,
1: and they also in
0: the uh, NHL lineup.
1: And more importantly, they might have a goalie of the future in Gustafson.
0: Yeah, and Marcus Hogberg uh, as, and well. Could, as well. He could he could be that guy as well. Yep. They also have a lot of they also have a lot of meaningful picks. They have five first rounders potentially, um, uh, seven second rounders, and four third rounders over the next three drafts. And if they draft well, they could do a lot yep. with a lot of those picks. So, um, and and they're also saving up a, a bit of cap money. Like Melnik probably isn't. Uh, like I, I I wouldn't say that Melnick wants to save money everywhere he can, but I'm sure he'll take an extra 7.15 million right. off of uh, Duchesne de single and commit it to some other guys moving forward. So, um, I I think overall these two trades, um, I I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk home run. I I would say it's a decent return though. But yep. it all depends on what those draft picks become, what those prospects right. become, and what and DeSingle do in Columbus and how long they're for. Yeah, that they're uh, they're in the fold for. Us, so we'll see.
1: Yeah, I think Duclair is one of those players that's like, yeah, he he has a weird bad track record. It seems like this is going to be his fourth team um, in the NHL, and but he clearly definitely has some skill involved. So. Um, and especially on this Senators team that's gonna be it's like good enough to at least give him some ice time and see what he's capable of and see what kind of futures install for him. He may not work out but he also may work out as well. So it's kind of like a good kind of like a low buy a buy low type situation.
0: Yeah, and, and, and to be perfectly clear, while I'm while I'm impressed to an extent, with what Dorian was able to get out of Duchesne at a single, it doesn't excuse for a second the horrid hindsight of the Matt Duchesne trade oh, yeah. in the first place from last year. True. They lost a class acting Kyle Turris, potentially Jack Hughes in the same deal. They also parted ways with Shane Bowers, a former first round pick, all for Matt Duchesne for what, like a year and a half, no lottery pick right. to show for it. Um, I mean, it's better than getting nothing at all for those two guys, but. The best thing for the franchise, as much as I like Duchenne, as much as I like what he brought to the table, I think probably going back in time and erasing this deal, if the Sens could do that, they probably should.
1: Uh, yeah, no, of because course. Because th- this caused point.
0: them, I-, I still think it caused them more harm than good Yep. in hindsight to get Matt Duchenne. And
1: it's not sure.
0: anything that Matt Duchenne did as a player, as a person. He did everything right. It was just awful, awful timing and everything went south very, very quickly.
1: Yep. Um, Matt Zuccarello is going to the Dallas Stars uh, for a, wait, I just had it here, Um, for a conditional, um, a a 2019 second conditional and a 2020 third conditional. Uh, The 2019 second conditional will be a first if the stars make it to the WCF or the Western Conference Finals. So that mm-hmm. means the stars would have to win two rounds. Um that's the technical wording of it, but I just went like if they make it to the W the the WCF. Um and then the 2023 becomes a first if Zug resigns with Dallas. Um this is this might be like the steal of the trade deadline cuz Matt Zuccarello, like, I thought Matt Zuccarello, I was so shocked that a first wasn't involved or a prospect wasn't involved or even, like, a roster player wasn't involved. Like, I know he's 31 years old and, and all that stuff, but he's still, like, a phenomenal player. Uh, mm-hmm. He Like, he's worth, like, a first-round pick um, regardless. And, like, the Dallas Stars just got away with, like, a larceny here because it's like like sure a second round pick is, is fine but you could have gotten a first out of him uh, easily mm-hmm. it's not like the Stars are like a lock to make it to the Western Conference Finals anyways um, sure he's not like that much of a game changer but um, it just was ridiculous to me to see that Zuccarello was like couldn't even garner a first round pick or even a prospect um, it's just uh, that, that seems nuts to me but um I'm also slightly annoyed at the Bruins for not if this was the price for Zuccarello then the Bruins should have done this um so I'm more mad about that than anything (laughs) Zuccarello uh has 37 points in 46 games he's been injured every now and then uh this season but he uh when he has played he's been really good um yeah, it's it's one of those things where I feel like the Rangers could have gotten so much more out of him um, than what Dallas did. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, well, um, it's Dallas, in order for Dallas to keep Zuccarello beyond this year, I think they're going to have to work around the cap because they have a couple of bad sure. contracts that they need to move. Barton Hansel being the most notable because he can't stay healthy enough. Yep. Um and I think Sucrell is definitely worth keeping around uh if they can work around the cap. Uh the Rangers saved themselves 3.5 million in this big transaction. The Stars retain 30% of the season salary that's left on Sucrell's contract. Um I think it's definitely worth it to get secondary scoring. Um like you said, 37 points in 46 games. I would say over the past month he's really turned his game up a notch. Um yep. this is a guy that was getting top line minutes with the rangers getting time on the top power play unit with the rangers that's something that dallas has been starving for outside of their top three um they're getting a guy that's in the top 80 in points per game in the nhl top 40 in power play assists 36 in events of zone loose pucks recovered per contest uh zuccarello averages 8.4 in that department and he has a track he, he is a guy with a track record of scoring 50 to 60 points a year on pace to do exactly that again this year um, and typically generates 150 to 170 shots a year which is again something that the Dallas Stars need uh, from a secondary standpoint so uh, this is a second line catalyst that uh, could fit in very well with the Dallas Stars right off the bat so yeah I, I like this short term trade for Dallas and they didn't have to give up um they didn't have to give up a first round pick at at worst it's gonna be two conditional firsts
1: yeah um yes i think you're right this has been something where dallas has needed for a long time in terms of like actual depth scoring it's always been sagan jamie ben and now uh, raduloff so it's um and like no one really else other than those three players so um so yeah, Zuccarello will help a a ton in that in that regard. Um, but at the same time, it's like you know Jason is your second center, uh, second line center. So um, I'm not sure if they're gonna make it that far in the playoffs. Um, but it, it definitely helps to have a guy like Zuccarello because uh, it's better than what they've had so far. So um, so there's that. But it, at the same time, it's just. It seems like the Rangers could have gotten a little bit more um, out of Zuccarello, but we'll see. Um, yeah. Uh, Charlie Coyle is going to the Bruins for uh, Ryan Donato in a, fi- a 2019 fifth uh, conditional. Um, that fifth conditional is turned into a fourth uh, round pick if uh, Boston gets to the second round. Um so uh, this is, uh, this was an interesting move. I, I'm not surprised that the Bruins were willing gonna, going to trade a prospect like Ryan Donato. He's still a prospect, even though he's played uh, like 48 games um, in Boston. But um, it seems like if you're gonna trade a guy like Ryan Donato, um, I would expect it to be someone bigger than Charlie Coyle um, not to knock Charlie Coyle, because, uh, you know, he had a couple years where he had, like, he had, like, a 21-goal uh, season. Um, but, you know, and he does seem to be more defensively responsible. But I feel like if you're going to trade a guy, a guy like Ryan Donato, he's only 23 years old. He You know, he's shown promise in Boston. Um, sure, they don't, like, they just didn't give him enough ice time. Um, especially now, his first two games in Minnesota, he had three assists in two games. So, um, so Charlie Coyle, maybe uh, I'm hoping for the best because Charlie Coyle can play a uh, he can play right wing and center, um, which are the Bruins' two biggest needs right now. Um, as like they need a third line center, and they also need a second right uh, second line right winger. Uh, for when Posternak gets back, so uh, those are two big needs, and uh, Coyle does fill those needs. Coyle's also went to BU, um, and he's from Massachusetts, so that's that's an added bonus there. He's from Weymouth, um, although Ryan Donato's also from Massachusetts as well. But it's uh, um, I I feel like. I feel like I just remember back to when the Bruins traded Vitrano for a third round pick last year. Um, surely we didn't expect, and I, and I don't think like Donato is going to be like the a Sagan type or a Joe Thornton type. He's not like that. But I feel like, I just worry about Donato. Like, I feel like Donato somewhat, we gave up on Donato way too early um, in his development. Um, and if you're going to do that, I'm okay with it as long as you get a guy, a player that, you know, could, uh, that can help you for your playoff push. But I don't think Charlie Coyle's that guy. So um, I'm hoping that the Bruins maybe get another piece and maybe Charlie Coyle is better than I think he is. But, um, so I I, I I remain to be a hopeful But at the same time, it's like, this could blow up in the Bruins' face where Ryan Donato is like a a key contributor for Minnesota for a long time. And uh, that's what I worry about.
0: Yeah, so we'll take a look at Charlie Coyle first. Everyone knows that post-secondary hockey is strong in the community of Boston. And nowadays, the Bruins connection with Boston University has been the strongest it's been in a while. Uh, Coyle went there, Jakob Forsbacher Carlson, aka JFK, Yep. Uh, Charlie mcavoy is like all of them, at Boston University as well. Um, and um, on top of that, as you mentioned, Charlie Coyle brings a boost to their bottom six, taking over the third-line center role that a lot of people thought David Backus would fill when he signed there. Yep. Uh, that hasn't really worked out. Instead, he's, um,
1: David Backus is his line mate.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he plays on the right side, and yeah. uh, Peter Celerik is on uh, the left side, uh, and we'll get to the importance of those combinations in a second. And I I think Coyle could be a decent filling for their top six if the uh, top six forwards if the injury bug gets hard. But let's yeah. take a look at his track record with Minnesota. Um, I I'm not sure if he can return to his 50 point form that he had a couple of years ago yep. on the majority of even strength ice time during his lone 50 plus point season with minnesota that was back in 2016-17 charlie coyle was either paired with eric Stahl, who had 28 goals and 65 points that year and you don't need a rider who had 27 goals and 57 points that year or he was paired with Stahl and parise never really gelled with anyone last year and he was on the line with Colin and ennis matt cullen and tyler ennis for 12.3 percent of even strength situations last year and that could explain why his point totals dipped down so significantly. I don't think he even got 40 last year. Stahl, meanwhile, had 42 goals and 76 points that same year in 2017 18. Charlie Coyle rarely saw that much even string time with Eric Stahl. His pairings in 2018 19 with Minnesota have been. With guys like Coonan, Greenway, Brise, Eric Sinek and yep. Mikhail Granlund. And there haven't been that many game breakers on the wild this year. Greenway so, and
1: Donato were Olympic teammates, by the way.
0: Yeah, so there you go. Um, I, I don't think Charlie Coyle is at the level of Krejci and Bergeron. So the best he can be yep. is on the Bruins third line with Backus and Celerik, Right. according to Daily Faceoff. And I will give Sellert some credit. He has some youth and jump to his game, but David Backus might be on his teeth to climb pretty soon. Yep. And Coils, 10 goals and twenty points in 61 games with Minnesota probably won't spike up anytime soon. And he's slated to make $4.25 million in the final year of his five year deal in 2019, 2020. So the Bruins will have him for another year, but I think how he's going to be utilized is. Going to be what I'm interested to see, and and the numbers he can put up are going to reflect where he is centered. If it's the second line, the third line, or the fourth line, yeah, the worst I, case scenario.
1: Right. Uh, I hope he's not in the fourth line, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah. I think it's one of those things. I I get, I I guess Charlie Coyle may be, you know, a good player. He could be a good depth player. He's certainly better than what we've had before. It's like. It's better than like giving this center spot to him instead of, you know, giving it to JFK or Frederick before they're even ready to take a hold of them there. But at the same time, it's like if you're, I, I, I'm more frustrated on the Bruins, um, missing out like uh giving up a a guy like Ryan Donato, um, for like a third line player. That seems kind of crazy to me. So I feel I would I would like to see him um, like I know that a lot of Bruins fans are saying that he should be. And and that's what he was in the last game that the Bruins played was he was on the third line. Um, but I would like to see him as a right winger for, to Krejci, Um just so I can see, like I feel like he could fit there. Um, cause that's another need of ours and, um, I feel like, yeah, it may be a little bit scary. It's not like a person where, um, you know, it's not like a Mark Stone, obviously, but, um, I feel like if you put him on the second line, um, then I feel like you may have a chance to just, just see how that goes. Um, Maybe it's not going to work out, but just at least like see that like, oh, he could fill in that role as being a right winger and, you know, fill out our top six. Um, But it does lead me to believe that the Bruins are out, are trying to get someone like Kevin Hayes or Mark Stone or uh, Gustav Nyquist um, if they're going to use Coyle as the third line center. Um, Mm -hmm. and the thing is, is that if you're like Ryan Donato was our biggest prospect to trade. Um, so it seems like if they're going to go out and get someone else, they're probably going to have to trade their first. They're probably going to have to trade like another prospect that we may not want to, uh, trade. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so that's going to be, uh, an issue if it's, if it's going to be cheap, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, it seems like I, I kind of wonder, I, I want, I want there to be another piece um, here just in case, like, if you're going to make him a third line center, um, fine, but at least then fill in the need to get another right wing player or left wing player now that DeBrus plays right wing, um, you know, just so we have, like, we can fill out our top six um so something like that but yeah we'll see
0: yeah getting getting back to Donato for a second i wanted to touch yeah, on sure. what this means for minnesota a while because uh, kind of concerned about where they're headed but taking a look at uh, donato i also think um where he fitted in with the bruins last year and where he fitted in this year also kind of played a bit into his struggles when yeah. you look at who he played with last year he spent quite a bit of time with Heinen and depressed but the main individual behind his success was david Krejci, yep. uh in my opinion and most of his even strength time on ice this year was spent with Jakob forcebacker carlson and Danton nine while david Krejci is having a solid season in his own right as a top six forward and top two center and i think that can be the difference between five goals and nine points in 12 games last year for ryan donato to just six goals and nine points in 34 games this year for Ryan Donato. So um the Minnesota Wild put him on a line with Kunin and Erickson Eck in his second game versus Detroit. Yep. And in that same game, he spent time on the power play with Stalin Zucker. And he also spent time on the power play with Kunin, Parise, Granland, and Pontus Auberg. Yep. And he gets three assists and seven shots in his first two games with his new club so uh how the minnesota wild utilize uh brian donato it's also going to be interesting to yep. watch the minnesota wild as a team are kind of scaring me for a bit because if you look at uh, the need to Ride Rast, one for one they're losing that deal very very badly yep um nino's gone from line four to the top six and he has 15 points in 16 games already has nine goals with Carolina he had nine goals with Minnesota this year has five power play points as well um his shooting percentage with Minnesota this year was 11.1 since the trade to uh, Raleigh he uh, has a shooting percentage of 17 and Victor Rask has two points in 10 games with the wild and he's hit the IR yeah. so um that trade has worked wonderfully for the hurricanes and not so wonderfully for the Minnesota wild. Uh, I also wanted to point out uh, the Charlie Coyle trade tree. If you didn't know, back in the day before Charlie Coyle went to Minnesota, he was with the Sharks. One day, the Sharks decided to trade him, Devin Setaguchi, and a first-round pick that turned into Zach Phillips to the Minnesota Wild. That was back in June of 2011, I believe. So, the Minnesota Wild gave up a second-round pick that turned out to be Pontus Auberg, who... Now plays the Minnesota
1: Wild, so they have say, him yeah.
0: back at least. They also gave up a defenseman that turned into Brent Burns. Yep. So basically, Brent Burns has gone from Brent Burns to Charlie Coyle to Ryan Donato, and a fifth that could turn into a fourth. Right. So it's not terribly bad as the Jordan Eberle trade tree, but <laughs> yeah, they gave up a Norris-winning defenseman True. to get Charlie Coyle. Yeah, and now they have Donato and a fifth that could turn into a fourth.
1: Yeah, the thing. Yeah, the thing with Donato, and I mentioned it before. I guess it's it's one of those things that I felt like they could have the Bruins could have given him more ice time, and um, but I guess the Bruins uh, publicly said that they felt like he um, he wasn't strong on the defensive side of things, so they decided to give him, go to Minnesota. Um, I felt like it was just—it's like when I look at like guys like Dylan Strome, um, mm-hmm. where like the Coyotes didn't give him enough ice time, um, and then all of a sudden he's like one of the best players in the second half uh, for Chicago, just because they purely gave him more ice time. Um, so, so that's what I worry about now, especially since he has three assists in two games. I feel like we just, uh, like, I, I understand the aspect of, like, you know, the Bruins aren't, like, are in win now mode, um, and uh, they don't really have enough room to give Donato to develop, and they can't, like, wait for him uh, to secede kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, it's just, it, like, it just boggles my mind just to, like, well, so you're gonna trade him even that, like just for a guy like Charlie Coyle who's like we already know what Charlie Coyle's gonna be. We don't really know what Donato's gonna be if you give him enough ice time. So that's that's where I get a little bit like worried, like Donato might be a fifty point guy, maybe a fifty five point guy. Mm-hmm. Um and who knows what Charlie Coyle is going to be in a couple years? So that's yeah, it, you know, may,
0: it might be one of those things where yeah. you already know what Charlie Coyle is, but you don't know what Ryan exactly. Donato is.
1: Exactly.
0: And to add to, add to your point, uh, I also heard that uh, Ryan Donato, um, by the sound of things, uh, didn't feel like uh, yep. d- didn't feel like he was.
1: Uh, he kind of well, took uh, a shot, full
0: of confidence uh, in the eyes of the Boston coaches. He yeah. thought the coaches, had kind of lost a bit of confidence in him. But still, I I
1: I think yeah, a bit of truth about it. After a year and a half,
0: I I think that's still a bit too soon to give up on a
1: guy. Yeah, exactly, and I feel like there's a bit of truth in that too. It's like, um, you know, he had nine points in his first uh, twelve games with Boston uh, when he was called up last year. Um, I mean, he was struggling a bit uh, this year for sure, but it just just doesn't make sense. Like it. like i don't know i feel like we're like i think the bruins have a habit of giving up on young players way too soon and i think ryan donato is on the verge of being that kind of player um Mm -hmm. i do having said all that i do wish him the best but i i do not like love this trade for uh for the bruins but Mm -hmm. we'll see um especially if
0: it's the only one they make at the deadline
1: exactly exactly um, well, they also the Bruins also signed Lee Stebniak, So go oh. to Lee Stebniak. <laughs> I know, I know. Of course, big He's deals.
0: Back everybody.
1: <laughs> big deals everywhere. Um, the uh, let's go to the are they for real section. Um, the let's start with. Oh, also uh, Charlie Coyle has the perfect Boston. Uh, if you have a Boston accent, Charlie Coyle is a great name to say. Childly coil, <laughs> um, so.
0: I I, 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 love I it. prefer I prefer kind of hot.
1: Yeah, but he's not a Bruin, um, unfortunately. So <laughs> I can't I can't really say that. But uh, we're gonna do an Are They For Real? Um, let's do. Uh, we usually do the top three, bottom three, every other week. But uh, we've kind of been. Um, we I started to realize that we're short on. Uh, teams and i'm not sure if we're gonna get uh through all all 31 teams um if we just do it every 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 other week so mm-hmm. we're gonna do uh are they for real this week um we're gonna start with the uh, Vancouver Canucks um they are currently they, they currently have 60 points. Um, I have the record here, but uh, they are fifth in the Pacific Division. Um, uh, I think we talked about them early on, like in when uh, Elias Pettersson was.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think we talked New about it at the same time as we talked about New Jersey. That yeah. was earlier in the year. Yep. Um, but I feel like we talked about the Flyers and Oilers and a lot of the other teams. Yep. Uh, as part of like a bigger, broader. Topics, So it's kind of like, are they for real section anyways? True. So I I think a lot of the contenders we've done already. But it's definitely worth a second look at Vancouver, because even though they're still a bottom 10 team, they're still in the thick of the playoff race in the West. I was about
1: to say, they're five. uh, So they have 60 points right now. They're 26, 28, and 8. They have 60 points but the avalanche who hold the second wildcard spot they have 65 points um and so they're five points out of the wildcard spot right now of course they do need to surpass minnesota arizona and chicago as well as colorado so uh they do have a little bit of work there it's not going to be easy for them but they could do it theoretically speaking um Elias Pettersson, um has 54 points in 51 games. Bo Horvath has 46 points in 62 games. Brock Besser has 41 points in 49 games. Um, other than that, uh, there isn't a ton of players that have uh, stood out to me. Um, Alex Edler uh, has 20 points in 38 games. Uh, Jake Ferdinand, um, I think he's battling injury. Uh, he has 22 yeah, points in
0: he, 58 I believe games. he's his issue is, uh, I think he has a fractured rib, yeah. or at the very least a rib injury, and he's out a month.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Goldobin has 25 points in 53 games. Antoine Roussel has 27 points in 57 games. Um, and then you have uh, your goaltending, uh, Jacob Markstrom has actually been pretty decent, um, mm-hmm. if I recall. Uh, he's 22, 18, and seven. He has a GAA of two point seven eight and a save percentage of nine ten, which isn't terrible, isn't great either, but uh, it's something. Um, yeah, this the, this connect team seems like it's it's like it's on the verge of being a really good team, um, especially because like it seems like they're building around Pedersen, Peterson, Horvat, and Besser. But it does seem like their secondary cast is not great. Um, mm-hmm. Their, their goaltending um, could be OK uh, with Markstrom. Um, we'll see what Demko and Di Pietro become. They, they did both play uh, their first NHL game this year. Um, but it does seem like this is going to be Markstrom's uh, net for the time being, at least for this season. Um, And um, yeah, so I wonder if the Canucks are sneaky gonna be buyers this year. Um, They may try to improve their depth situation, especially if a guy like um, Edler, who's their best defenseman is gonna be out long-term. Yeah, we'll see.
0: Yeah, the Canucks are a very interesting team. I don't think they're gonna be biased. I think they should stick to the process because if they're the seventh worst team in the league and they win a lottery, they could have Quinton and Jack Hughes on their team.
1: True, true. which
0: is how they get better. I think is through the draft. So yeah, but get- I
1: feel like they're one of these teams that like they like Pedersen is making them like making them like a fringe playoff team. Yeah. Instead of uh, a lottery team. Like, he, Petter, Peterson is keeping them from being, like, a true lottery team.
0: Yeah, 100%. And and Markstrom, to his credit, uh, he's, yep. he's had some massive games for them, too. True. But he's like – the, like the team, Markstrom has been streaky. Um, like, the bottom six is well-balanced, but not too much punch to really intimidate. Like, this is a young team – that can win games with whatever skill they have. Um, but I think it's mostly hard work and a lot of skill from their top six is how they get stuff done. Um all three of Peterson, Horvat, and Besser have 20 goals at least. After that, only one guy has recorded double digits and goals, and it's Jake for ten, and he has twelve. Uh their fourth leading scorer, Antoine who who is twenty-seven points, a guy like Louis Ericsson, who is paid hey, to be a top six forward has 21 points this year yep. um Troy Stetcher the good news for him is he's evolving into one of their better defenders and if he stays on board Alex Edler will probably help him along the way um but at the end of the day what you see is what you get with the Canucks bottom 10 team in goals near the top 10 for most goals against not much has changed there penalty kill hasn't been horrid which is good power play statistically speaking has been horrid Um, In fact, I believe they have the fifth most power play time in the NHL, um, and they still have a pretty bad power play. Um, They're not very good at staying disciplined either, um, resulting in even less offensive zone time. Um, And when that happens, you're not getting as many shots on goal per game. That further stalls the offense. Um like they're getting chances on the power play but that's pretty much all the the punch they could probably pack is with the extra man and they're doing very little of that um and that's probably why just 14 times in their first 60 games they've held a lead after 20 minutes of play um the good news is they're cutting down on their giveaways in fact they're a top 10 team in the nhl when it comes to fewest giveaways which is good um 31 of their 60 games have been decided by a single goal so um they're certainly in a lot of the games that they played but i'm looking at their schedule they're going up against teams like colorado arizona vegas columbus dallas st louis all those guys are in a dogfight for playoff spots from now until the end of the year yep and all of those teams have zero room forever and then in between the canucks have games against san jose nashville calgary and Toronto. Who are all jesting for a position in the standings? Probably going to be playoff teams, but they want to set themselves up for success uh, in the uh, in the home stretch as well. So I think if they have a if they have a massive win sheet, the Canucks have a shot. But I just don't see the stars aligning, as especially not only don't have, but the amount of health that they don't have as well. They've been banged up all year.
1: Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's a good point. I think they 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 are in the thick of it. It's like it's not like, they're like it would surprise me if they made the playoffs. But at the same time, it seems like they have so many teams to get through, um, in order to get to that point where like a lot of teams have to struggle, to, um, for the Canucks to make the wild card spot. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean Minnesota is struggling, so and they, they may not be good. Um, you know they have more future issues here. Arizona may not be, like they 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 have a lot of injury issues as well, but they could be you know in the mix somewhere. And then you also have Chicago, which is been steamrolling players, uh, teams. So. Um, they they could they've been making a rise out of things Colorado has struggled but they're still in it temporarily speaking so it's not out of the question that the Canucks could can make the playoffs but it doesn't seem likely I would say Yeah. Um, let's go to Dallas uh, they are our second are they for real section um, our team uh, they are they have 65 points. They're fourth in the central um, They currently hold the uh, First wild card spot, but they are tied with Colorado um, In in points although Dallas has a game in hand of Colorado So that's why they're they're, they're the first wild card team. They just got um, Zuccarello as we just mentioned, but um, let's see here uh, So I mean, we kind of already talked about them when we were talking about Zuccarello, but Zagan has 57 points in 61 games. Uh, Radulov has 47 points in 50 games. Jamie Benn has 41 points in 60 games. Uh, Klingberg has 29 points in 43 games. Esselindel Lindell has, uh, he's kind of had a a pretty decent year uh, with 28 points in 61 games. Miro Hiskanen has six, uh, 29, 26 points in 61 games. Um, and then you have guys like uh, Jason Spezza who has 24 points in 59 games. And uh, Radek Faxa, who has 22 points in 61 games. Um, you also have players like uh, Matthijs Janmark um, and Devin, oh, not Devin Short. Janmark <laughs> has uh, 20 points in 61 games. Um, and then um, other players of note, I'm trying to find. Um, I know Joel Esperance. he was leading uh, the AHL in points um, and then he recently got called up. He hasn't scored yet, but he's played four games for them. Uh, Valerie Natushkin, he came back to Dallas, but it doesn't look like he's uh, done much uh, when he was there. I guess he's called back down, but he had seven points in 43 games uh, this year. So um, yeah, it seems like this has been a thing for Dallas, where like a lot of depth players haven't been, been performing like they thought they would. Uh, ben Bishop has um, has been their goalie. He's been okay. He's been actually pretty good. Uh, he has he's 19-13 and two, a nine twenty-four save percentage and a GAA of 2.29. Uh, GAA, Um, and then also note Anton Kudobin is 11, 13, and 3 with a 9.23 save percentage and a 2.56 GAA. Um, So it does seem like Ben Bishop has kind of, just judging just from the stats, I haven't really watched too many Dallas Stars games, but uh, just judging from based off the stats it seems like Bishop has kind of kept them into games. For the most part, Um, and uh, yeah, like uh, Sagan um, and Ben are obviously pretty good. Not according to Jim Lights, but everyone else, uh, they seem to be uh, pretty good. A little bit disappointing for them; they're not, you know, what we expected them. But they're they still have like um, they're still their team leaders in um, in in Dallas
0: yeah um it the stars are a very interesting team because they still rely on sagan and ben much to much to uh the chagrin i'm sure the star ceo who who thinks they're still horse manure right um if they're still a big part of their team um neither of them hit the 30 gold mark at the time of this recording yes but uh, at the same time, the only guy to hit and surpass 57 points is Tyler Sagan. Ben is third in team scoring with 41 points, Ratchelov is uh, second on the team with 47 points. And uh, Ratchelov has 16 goals, uh, while uh, Faxa and Heiskinen are the only others to hit double digits in goals. Um, it it kind of reminds me a lot of the New York Islanders this year. This is a team that's trying to play the right way under a new coaching system that is trying to put team first. The offense was flowing last year. Defense, though, was an afterthought. And defense is what cost them games last year. And uh, the issue for them this year is that sometimes they can't score when it matters. And it was evident uh, a couple of nights ago in a 3 nothing loss to Carolina. They've scored the third fewest goals in the West. In fact, they've scored the third fewest goals in the league. They're six points behind the Blues for a third in the Central, tied with the Outs for fourth. And last place, Chicago is only four points back of them. So there's little room for error at this point uh, in the Central Division. Uh, but at the same time, they're four or five points ahead of teams like the Coyotes and Canucks who are chasing for wild card spots. And Minnesota is one point uh, behind them as well. So I guess, you know, you say what you will about Minnesota and if they're on the downturn or not, but uh, they're still in the hunt for now. Um, like you said, their goaltending has been good, which is great. Um, Hudobin and Bishop have both played in at least 25 games. Both have a safe percentage of at least 920. Compared to what they had with Bishop and Lutton last year, that's an improvement. But again, they're the 13th worst team in the league. That's good enough to be in the playoff picture right now. If they're in the East, they're not even close to making it. Like Pittsburgh is out of a playoff spot right now. And they have over 71 points they have 72 that's seven more than dallas so i think the stars like a lot of the teams in the west that are somehow still in the playoff hunt should be very fortunate because of their offense not being nearly up to par with the rest of the league um but again they can get away with it because they're in the west because they have the third best defense because they have a top 10 penalty kill and a decent power play um they're good at winning faceoffs. They're in the top 10 there. They block sh- shots pretty well. They're top 10 there. Um, they tend to get a lot of their offense in uh, the second period, which is good. But I, I think if you're going to continue to play like this, you cannot afford to give other teams chances to burn you. And giveaways has been a bit of an issue with the Dallas Stars this year. And they have the 7th most giveaways. And, and if they don't have the 7th most giveaways, they're certainly in the top 10. Um, they, they've they given up the second fewest goals in the first, but they've scored the fewest goals in the first. So it's it's just the momentum swings, controlling the momentum swings, creating more offense by drawing more penalties. They have the lowest amount of power play time in the NHL this year. Um, there, there are so many things to be proud of with this stars team but there are so many things that are holding them back and like vancouver they are going to have some tough opponents they have a red hot team like the st louis blues yeah. to deal with they have the vegas golden knights colorado pittsburgh philadelphia minnesota all those trying to find uh, a spot in the stanley cup playoffs not all of them are going to find one and then in between they have teams like winnipeg and Calgary trying to better their positioning so It's all a matter of do they have what it takes to get those two points compared to their opponent. And I think that's why the Zuccarello trade was so important for them to make because if they didn't make that trade, I would say they don't have the pieces to get it done. But I certainly think they get a boost if Zuccarello plays to his strengths and uh, delivers what they brought him in to do.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I think uh, Zuccarello is gonna help them a lot. Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily gonna be enough, um, even if they do make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, are um, they gonna get by the first round? Yeah, probably that,
1: not. So, so that's that's unclear. Uh, but um, yeah, it is definitely something. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Stars are probably gonna make the playoffs. Um, but I don't know if they're gonna be, I feel like they're gonna be a first round exit. Uh, yeah. For, for sure. Um, okay, let's go to the rapid fire. We don't have a ton on the rapid fire just because of our <laughs> main topics and just preparing for the trade deadline. But um, there is a couple of things on ice, things that were of note uh, this week. Um, McDavid, Connor, one, the main one was that Connor McDavid is suspended two games for hitting Nick Letty, um, on the head. It was definitely, uh, suspension worth, um, I would say kudos to the NHL for not, like, for at least, like, suspending him something. Of course, it's, like, two games, it's two games, but, um, like this just shows that they're not like giving out superstar treatment to McDavid um for for something like that um the funny thing is is that like you know all these jokes about how the Oilers are basically just McDavid um, but the Oilers won last night without him um, so I think that's kind of funny but um but uh yeah no it's uh I and then I think you were you were mentioning that Radko Gudas got suspended one game for a similar type play, um, and uh, so it, there is like a consistency issue still. But um, I don't mind this suspension. I feel like two games is enough for that kind of hit. Yeah. So so
0: I'll get to the Gudas stuff in a sec. But we'll we'll take a look at. I'm, I'm, I was looking at the player safety video for the McDavid hit, and mm. I can definitely see why they gave him two games because Letty's playing the puck. His head doesn't move. He's focused on shooting the puck deep in the Oilers zone. He's at the Oilers blue line at this point, And McDavid's shoulder makes contact with the, with the Letty's head intentional or not. Contact was made with the head. It looks suspendable. It looks bad at the same time. McDavid is not a dirty player, he's not Tom Wilson, not cleverly disguising these hits. But this is a play where a suspension has to be handed out, and I too will give kudos to player safety for coming down on this. And I definitely think two games is fair, I also think $80,000 to the Players Emergency Assistance Fund is going to go a long, long way. Um, I can also see McDavid's point, here's what he said following the suspension. It's kind of a two-game, no-questions-asked kind of rule. I have to be honest, I didn't think I was going to be suspended at all going into the hearing. After hearing their tone of voice and whatnot, I had a sense it would go that way. He then goes on to explain the elements. He says, I'm on the back check, and I stopped skating at the red line, which obviously isn't good for the back check. I was moving so slow. It's a drop pass. It's my guy. Letty bobbles the puck for a second, and I go to close on him to make a play on the puck. He just kind of gets rid of it, and at the time, we are going to run into each other either way. So I brace myself. He gets the worst of it because he's in the more uncomfortable position. If the roles were reversed and I was going to extend myself to touch the puck, then he goes through me. Now we are maybe talking about me having a separated shoulder or even a head injury. So if you're going to pick which guy I'm going to protect, I'm going to protect myself first. So Con McDavid does have a point. He still gets two games, and I don't object to player safety on that, but Conrad McDavid does have a point. Now we get to Ratko Gudis, which is my favorite part. Because this play absolutely aggravates me. Department of Player Safety specifically states in the video that In an effort to change player behavior and in accordance with the collective bargaining agreement, Department of Player Safety will increase a player's discipline when he repeatedly violates NHL playing rules. They continue to say that no matter the impact, Gudis must stop using his stick to target the heads of his opponents. Gudis puts his free hand back on the stick, back on his stick after Kucherov pushes it away and he takes a hack at Kucherov's head before the puck goes airborne and near Gudis. I thought at first, at first glance, he was trying to hack at the puck midair, and he missed. But I look at the play again. Puck was not even close enough to his stick when he took that mid-air whack and hit Kucherov by mistake. Department of Players Safety admitted that they suspended Kudis 10 games for slashing Matthew Perot of the Winnipeg Jets about a year ago. They are willing to give McDavid a pair and not bat an eyelash. But given Goodis' history and what he got for a previous cheap shot last season, and given that the best player in the league right now in Nikita Kucherov was on the other end of this play, Goodis should have gotten at least 10 games. They didn't even give him five. Where the hell is the consistency? Because I don't see it.
1: Yeah, I think for that, it did seem much worse than what McDavid did, um, but I don't know. I think it's it's one of those things where um, it's pretty close to it, so I, I wouldn't give him like five games, but um, it did seem kind of fair, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me.
0: <laughs> it, it, it's just one of those things where if you're in a heated rivalry and you think about doing something bad and you swing your stick at an opponent's head, the back of the head, when he's not looking, he's skating away. Yeah. Knowing that Kudis got two games for what he did to Kucherov. That was a cheap shot. That doesn't belong in this game. Yep. Do you think the players are going to think twice in the heat of rivalry of whether or not they should swing their stick? No, because Kudas only got two games to this. Yeah. They're just like, God, oh, what's two games? What's one playoff game, you know?
1: Right. True. have You bring up good points. <laughs> <laughs> um, The, uh, Carter Hart, um, had, has a lower body injury. Um, he, uh, he has, yeah, lower body injury. So he's out at least 10 games. Um, he kind of.
0: No, no, no. He's out at least 10 days, not 10 games.
1: Oh, oh yeah. I meant 10 days. I thought I said, I thought I said days.
0: That would be catastrophic for Philly if he
1: was out 10 games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he uh he did not look great against Tampa but um but yeah apparently yeah. it was because he uh he had a lower body injury um yeah
0: he he wasn't good so, in the next start against Montreal especially that third goal he gave up
1: right so uh so he's kind of like turned human but at we least used to ask oh jeez um there's an <laughs> ad there um <laughs> i i uh, i just went to a site that it had for Carter Hart news and then i uh, also okay I hate those pop-up ads so much, man. Anyways. um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, no, he didn't. uh, And then, um, so I guess it's for the best, at least, you know, just get healthy. Um, Especially since he's 20 years old, you don't want to, like, have him play while he's injured, my favorite thing to do. So so I do like this news. Um, However, it was, like, strange that, like, I remember... uh, Brian Elliott, there was announced that Brian Elliott was going to start the stadium series and everyone, I remember on Twitter, was like going kind of crazy about that because they thought like, oh, well, wait, why is Brian Elliott starting? You know, he's not, um, you know, it's Carter Hart's net. Like, yeah, he, he's earned the right to play um, in the stadium series. And then, um, and then all this news about his injury came out. So, um So yeah, it's it's unfortunate for Philly, especially since they're gonna make uh, they're making this playoff push, but um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely something to take care of now versus like having him play while injured. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you have anything about that or no? I I, I, it's
0: it's just kind of interesting how it ever since leaving St. Louis, you know, Brian Elliott uh, just has a cup of coffee in Calgary and then comes to Philly, and, you know, it's, you know, everyone's probably excited to see him the first year, and then Carter harder plays out of his mind, and then uh, before the stadium series, Elliott gets a call, and everyone's like, hey, what are you playing? You're not supposed to be in that. Get out of here.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's
0: that's it's, It's just... It's it's funny but sad in a way how people can turn on goaltenders so quick.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. But I mean, Ryan Elliott never really was. I mean, I guess he did have. A he, he was status, he was a short term
0: solution to begin right. with when he went into Philly. I'll, I'll sure. be honest, I didn't think he was gonna. I don't think he was gonna be there past two years, but um, it, it 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 all hinged on how their goaltending development was going to work out. And fortunately for them, Carter Hart's. Looks so far so good. So obviously they roll with the hot hand, but then they're just like, oh, okay, everything makes sense. He's hurt, and I guess we'll go with Elliot.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. We'll see. Um. I, I guess Brian Elliott did have a stint in St. Louis, uh, for a bit, but then it never seemed to happen when he was in Calgary, and now in Philly. So. Um, mm-hmm.
0: I think I think uh, the system he played under in St. Louis really helped him too.
1: Yeah, because because
0: sure. Halak was just as good in St. Louis.
1: Yep. No, you have a good point. Um, all right. Uh, let's go to the. Uh, we do have a couple of other minor trades, but I think we'll get to that next week. Um, Haglin, Nick Jensen, um, and Ben Lovejoy, but we'll uh we'll talk about them later. Um, next week. Uh. So it's not like, for those listening at home, it's like, hey, you didn't talk about Nick Jensen for some reason. Um, that's <laughs> the reason why. Um, yeah. The Bruins, uh, so yeah, I'll I'll go first, Bruins send segment. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure I went first last week, so right, that's right. right.
1: Go ahead. So, the, uh, um, this was a fun game uh, to watch. The Bruins play the Sharks. Um, the, uh, it was a, High-scoring game, not as high-scoring as your game uh, that day, but um, it was pretty high-scoring. Six-five, uh, uh, Boston. Uh, they play uh, the Bruins. Came up to with a three-goal lead to start things off. Uh, Carson Coleman, Zdeno Chara, and uh, Tori Krug all got the goals. Uh, Coleman had his first goal of the year uh, of his career. So that was cool to see. Uh, Jake DeBrust um, had the assist there. It was kind of like a tip, like like tipped it off of DeBrust, so that was nice. Um, And then uh, Joe Thornton scores in the first period. I was like, all right, um, that's not great, obviously, but we're up 3-1. What's the worst that can happen? Then in the second period, Joe Pavelski scores. um, And then, so then it's 3-2. I'm like, all right, I'm getting a little bit worried. Uh, Then Jake DeBrust scores. It was a beautiful play, too, from him. Um, And then Joe Thornton gets his second goal of Mm -hmm. the year, of of the game. Um, It'll be a running theme in a minute. Um, And then, late in the second period, um, there was this, um, like, Logan Couture. It was a shorthanded, you know, it would have been a shorthanded goal. Um, but, uh, Logan Couture has this breakaway, um, and, uh, looks like the puck was, like, in for, like, a, fr- like, a fraction of the puck was in, but they called it off. However, they called it, up. they gave Logan Couture the penalty shot, um, and Logan Couture, uh, scored on that play. And then in the third period, um, Joe Thornton... In his like, fifteen-year career, gets his first hat trick um, of his uh, career.
0: Hands up if
1: you, if your
0: reaction when he found out he scored the hat trick with, oh please God, make him score four goals. Right.
1: right. So if you remember, um, like um, a couple of years ago when Thomas Hurdle got the uh, got four goals in a game, um, and then people and then he started celebrating. Um, or no, I think his fourth goal was like a uh, between the legs type goal. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a ridiculous goal. Yeah, and, and then
0: I, I believe yeah. I believe the reporter was asking um, someone else. What, yeah, I, it was it was either asking Hurdle or or Thornton, right? Uh, if if he thought Hurdle, right, was right, so good. no, and
1: then and then Joe Thornton because he was the captain at the time. Yeah. He, uh, no, no, just Joe Thornton just interjected, because he wasn't being interviewed for that. But then yeah. he, he interjected and said that if I scored four goals, I'd take out my rooster. He didn't say rooster, <laughs> but you know, the rooster, yeah. and and stroke it. And then that's become the funniest thing for everyone Um. since then. So everyone, including me, was rooting for Joe Thornton to get... Uh, a goal the fourth goal just to see what he would possibly do. Um, but uh, it never actually happened, especially since he used to be on the Bruins, it would have been like the perfect game to like do that, <laughs> yeah. too. You know, it's like, of course, Joe Thornton gets the four goals against the Bruins. Um, and then, um, but it was uh, it didn't happen because uh, Chris Wagner gets this, this is another controversial goal, but Chris Wagner gets a, um, it looked like it was a high stick, it was definitely a high stick, I shouldn't say that. It was definitely, but it hits, uh, uh, like Chris Wagner's behind Martin Jones, but it hits, um, it was a high stick and then it the puck drops down uh, behind Martin Jones and all Wagner had to do was tap it in but um, it was definitely a high stick. Even if uh, Wagner did, like, it's kind of funny when you think about it, because like, if Wagner had, if that puck went in from his stick, uh, mm. it would probably wouldn't have counted because it would be a high stick. But since it like all Wagner had to do was tap it in, it it counted. Um, but like that's kind of like one of those plays that doesn't count if you're um because it's not reviewable um so um it was <laughs> it was a crazy thing the sharks definitely got screwed but at the same time like the refs were horrible on both sides like there was a couple of calls I remember Heinen like uh didn't get called for this like slashing call, call. um and I felt like the, like the sharks like got away with that one so there's definitely a lot of like plays in this game uh, in this game where it felt like the Sharks uh, got away with and, you know, obviously the Bruins got away with the biggest one there. So so there's that. Um, and then in overtime, uh, Charlie McAvoy scores his fourth goal um, of the year. It was a nice tic-tac-toe goal uh, there. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was also an interesting game because the Bruins, uh, the shot disparity was... Nuts! The Sharks uh, shot on Tuka Rast uh, 38 times and the Bruins shot on Martin Jones 20 times. Um, it was one of those games where, like, yeah, the Bruins had a 3 nothing lead and then they kind of blew it up and then they ended up winning again. Um, but, like, just the fact that, like, I think there was also, like, a 20-minute period in between the second and the third where the Bruins had no shots on net. So um, so it was one of those games where it was just like Bruins had no right in winning this game. Even making it to OT, mm-hmm. they had no right in ma- winning that game. Even it just seemed like once they scored those three goals, they kind of just gave up. and then all of a sudden things just started clicking where they're like, all right, we need to we need to score, we need to score here and all that stuff. So um, there's that, But, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good, it was probably the best game, um, entertainment wise, um, of the year. Um, so, so there's that, but, um, (laughs) like who, who says it had to be pretty, you know? Um, yeah. The Bruins then play Vegas. Um, this game was, um, also a pretty good game, um, Jake DeBrusque scores. He's been on fire lately. Um, Riley Smith is uh, then ties things up, another former Bruin. Um, and then you have... Um, and then in the third period, we have Brad Marchand scoring. And then Nate Schmidt, like, a couple seconds later, uh, he scores. He kind of, like, goes straight into... Uh, he crashes the net and he, like, goes through a couple of guys. It was... It's kind of a nuts that he was able to do that, but whatever. Um, then the uh, then the shootout happens. Um, Jake DeBrus gets a goal. Patrice uh, Bergeron, Elise, he gets a shootout chance, um, and then David Backus, the hero we all thought we needed, um, he gets the goal. It was like it went like seven rounds or something like that. So, so that was nice to see. Um, at least David Backus is, is a is a capable player, uh, somehow. So that was that was good to see. Um, and then we go to uh, St. Louis. This was the first game that Charlie Coyle played in. Um, it was kind of low scoring, but I mean it was low scoring. Uh, Alexander Steen scores in the first period, and then in the second period, Chris Wagner scores. Um, that was uh, cool to see, but. Um, then Charlie Coyle gets the only goal in the shootout for the Bruins, but uh, Tyler Bozak and Sammy Blaze, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, they get goals for St. Louis, um, so St. Louis wins. Um, so this was one of those games where, you know, I was just glad that we got a point. Uh, like it does, like it doesn't seem like it, but the Bruins were fighting very hard. So I was I was proud of their fight level Um, in their hard work. Uh, The Bruins went 4-0-1 in the West Coast and especially they didn't have Pasternak. Uh, Guys like Jake DeBrus, Dan Heinen, uh, even Chris Wagner have all stepped it up. Um, So uh, that's good to see, I hope. It's just like, it reminds me like, we don't have Pasternak, yet we're still doing like really well without him. So um, it's kind of like, it makes me wonder what could happen if pastor Pasternak's in the lineup how how does this team gonna look and um, so I'm excited about that um, in the oh, some prospect news uh, Jackson Nickka had three power play goals and one short-handed goal in a game so he had four goals in a game um, which is which is cool to see when I saw that so um, I feel like Jackson is now our top prospect um, in the league so I'd be upset if Um, if the Bruins trade him somehow, but unless it's like for Panarin or, or Mark Stone, but other than that, um, I would hate to see him go because I, I'm now my hype is all on Jackson Knicka. Um, as in terms of deadline thoughts, I, I like I said already from when we talked about this earlier, um, Coil is a good piece, I think. Um, It does seem a bit steep because I do worry about Donato. He has been, you know, he is a good prospect. I just feel like we gave up on him too soon. Um, But so like, so if you're going to give up a guy like Donato up, I feel like Coyle should be on the second line. Um, But uh, it seems like he's going to be the third line. In which case, get someone else. I'm hoping we get Kevin Hayes. Or um, Gustav Nyquist. Um, ideally, I would get try to get Mark Stone, but I have a feeling that Mark Stone's going to be um, his price is way too high that for the Bruins to even consider it, especially with in the division. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure you'd be happy about that. But um, that's uh, yeah, that that's where I'm at now. I I'm just hoping that we get a get another piece uh because the coil does fill in that 3C role or that 2R role but RW role but it's um but having said that he's only one player then so we need another guy who could fill that 3 the third center role or that second line right winger role um and that's what I'm hoping we address um other than that, I don't know if we'll be able to beat Tampa. I think we'll be able to beat Toronto, but I'm, I don't think we'll be able to beat Tampa um, with our current roster. So we'll see, but um, yeah, we'll see. Um, let's take it to you, Steve.
0: Before I go to the cents, I'll add to some uh, two cents on what the Bruins might do. Um, I heard from GM Don Sweeney shortly after the Coil deal was made; they might not do anything else before the trade
1: deadline. Right. And uh, they did sign like, Lee Stemniak. Like,
0: yeah, <laughs> except for Lee Stemniak. Yeah. I, um, I think Coil isn't the prized possession everyone is gambling for. He's a good piece to add, but it's on top of a bigger piece. Yep. The singles off the board. You mentioned they missed out on Zuccarello too, and you're disappointed about that. Yep. Stone is going to cost a lot, and you mentioned that as well. Um, given what Columbus has done with DeZingle and Duchesne, Panarin might not move. Uh, could Boston be in the hunt for someone like Eric Stahl? Maybe, maybe Wayne Ny- Simmons? Yeah, m- maybe Wayne Simmons, maybe Nyquist or Hayes would be a good yep. fits, or even Chris Kreider, especially the Leafs are going after Chris Kreider. Because, well, I feel like
1: is another one like Stone. That's going to be a lot. Um, if, if we're going to do that, so, um, uh, yeah, yeah, true.
0: I, I definitely think co- uh, the cost for Cryder is a lot cheaper than stone. Like true. not really, but still cheaper. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the necessity to get Cryder is to make sure that your worst enemy doesn't get them like,
1: to Oh like yeah, yeah. Toronto. yeah. So, well, he is a, he is a former, he is a Massachusetts native as well. So that'd be cool. to mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, because and a it. lot
0: of and a lot of Rangers. And
1: so is Kevin right now, Hayes. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, so I, I think the questions they should be asking, Bruins fans like yourself, should be asking is, is the team I'm cheering for in good enough position to beat the Leafs or the Bolts in seven game series? Because if the Leafs or the Bolts get Kreider, are the scales tipped against the Bruins?
1: I don't know if Kreider's um, gone though. I don't. Th- I feel like Kreider's is going to take. I don't I know Kreider is on the trade block, but I don't think he's going.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe not. yet. maybe that's an off-season
1: deal. Yeah, or
0: maybe that's Possibly. something that waits till the deadline. But um, yeah, I think what whatever assets, whatever future assets the Rangers can get for their players, I think they're in the position where they're going to start making them. Uh now looking at the sense before I get to my sense, who are probably not done. Yeah. <laughs> probably not done uh, before Monday and um, by the time you listen to this podcast maybe you'll know what they did but at the time we're recording this we already know Duchenne and Dzingle are gone Mark Stone's future is still up in the air so we'll get to that in a quick sec before we do that we'll talk about the game that Dzingle and Duchesne last played for the Sins and it was a wild one oh, yeah. Monday night against Chicago and I didn't really watch too much of it uh in particular, the first period where things were really, How dare really you
1: now watch this game? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, the only reason I found out about it was,
1: I'm was through you. I'm joking. I'm joking,
0: here You're just telling me 5-4 after one period, right? I'm watch joking.
1: Games. I'm joking, of course. Yeah,
0: I know. I, I feel so ashamed. Uh, so it started off well off at the Sens. Bobby Ryan scored at the 2:06 mark of the first 34 seconds later, Ruel Spolster gets on the board. Two nothing Ottawa at that point. Of course, it's the Sens, and of course the Hawks have a lot of offense, as you know. So that two nothing lead quickly evaporates. Thanks to Alex DeBrinket, he scored twice. By the 5:01 mark of the first period, we're all even at two. 31 goals on the year for to it. Then Colin White scores at 7:55. It's 3-2 Ottawa. Of course, that doesn't last long because Kane, Strom, and Sod all score in a span of two minutes 17 seconds. All of a sudden, 5.07 left in the first, and it's 5-3 Chicago. And then Mark Stone gets his 28th before the two-minute warning, 5-4 Chicago after 20 minutes. The goalies, as you might expect, were rocked hard in this one. Uh, Anderson Nilsson got the start for Ottawa, pulled after four goals and 12 shots. Uh, One goal against on three shots for Anderson in uh, the short amount of time that uh, he got to play in the first uh for Chicago's goaltending not that much better uh Colin Delia started got the hook after three goals on 10 shots Cam Ward comes in gives up one goal on six shots after 20 minutes Colin White then gets his second of the game 132 into the second period 5-5 game the offense continues uh 1345 left in the second we're thinking okay things are gonna calm down now right well then, DeBrincat gets the hat trick goal, his 32nd of the year. Six to five, Chicago. Not even at the halfway point. Then we get to the 10:31 mark. Gustav Forsling joins the scoring parade with his third. Seven to five, Hawks. Was the score before the halfway mark. It was also the score after 40 minutes. So there was a bit of an offensive lull after that. Uh, but still, both teams combined for nine goals on 31 shots in the first period. Three goals and 28 shots in a calmer middle frame it was still seven to five Hawks after two and when the score was seven to five Chicago I thought I wonder how many goals the rest of the angels combined for and the answer was 15 goals at that time the NHL had scored 15 goals it was seven to five Hawks at that point so both teams Ottawa and Chicago had combined for 12 the rest of the league had combined for 15 which shows you how crazy this game was uh, at that point so the third period gets underway taves gets his 28th less than four minutes in the score is then eight to five sense looked pretty well out of it until uh thomas shabbat comes alive but before i talk about thomas shabbat i will mention that by assisting on that jonathan Taves goal Alistair brinkett got his first ever five point game in the big leagues so my congrats to him now we get to thomas shabbat 901 of the third he gets his twelfth of the season it's eight six Then he strikes again. Sens are now within one, eight to seven. With four fifty-seven remaining in regulation. Oh my god, the Sens have a six on four power play. They pull the goalie and get nothing, and they lose eight to seven. Quite fitting because that's how things go for Ottawa these days. Um so when the dust sells, when it's all said and done, Ottawa and Chicago combined for a whopping 15 goals and six fewer giveaways than goals can you believe that there were fewer giveaways than goals scored in this game i don't think that happens very often in the nhl uh so then of course after that game we go to thursday night in new jersey which is when all the crazy stuff happens with stone duchene and dezingle all scratch versus the devils and boy oh boy it showed ottawa got outscored four to nothing outshot 31 to 30 which isn't terrible but uh, still outscored 4-0 against one of the lesser teams in the Eastern Conference. And uh, then uh, the next night, uh, by that point, Duchesne had been traded. Dezingle and Stomer are still scratched. Craig Anderson has to face 40 shots, and the Sens only get 22 towards Wawrowski. gets shut out again, 3-0. It was only a 1-0 game heading into the third period, so I will give Ottawa some credit. They were hanging in there, but again just struggling to get that extra goal or two even with stone to shane to single in the lineup all playing that was a struggle and it's even tougher now so it'll be interesting to see how many wins the Sens are able to manufacture with uh out the bulk of their offense uh out of the lineup in other news the Sens recalled philip schlapik and uh, Darren Ar- uh dylan archibald i believe um Instead of Logan Brown and Drake Batherson ahead of Thursday's game against the Devils, in my opinion, that, that was probably the right decision because the Belleville Senators are on a pretty good run. And they're trying to make the playoffs right now. And they probably need guys like Logan Brown and Drake Batherson to help them out. Uh, and guys like Logan Brown and Drake Batherson have been really driving the boat offensively. So I can totally get not sending them up to the Sens, who are probably going to lose even if they play or they don't play. So uh, I figured, OK, Schlappek and Archibald, those are good columns. A day later, Archibald, Schlappek sent down to Belleville, and guess who they recall? Logan Brown and Drake Batherson. Wow. It's almost like nobody wants to win
1: well, it's, at all. That seems to be because of the fact, isn't that because uh, Mark Stone, Duchesne, and Dezingle were? um held out
0: well yeah well no they they brought up they brought up schlappich and archibald when the big three were scratched
1: Uh.
0: instead of brown and batherson the next day they sent both of those guys down and they recall logan brown and drake batherson so like why why did you even call up schlappich and archibald in the first place like
1: right
0: why do you even call up brown and batherson like, Belleville needs them. Abramov's going to Belleville to help him out. Like, they they should be winning. Give them a taste of winning. Don't bring them into a tire fire of a season that you know is lost, that you know Colorado is probably going to get the first overall pick no matter who's in the lineup. They're, yeah. they're still a worse team in the Eastern Conference with Stone, with Duchesne, with Dezingle. What difference does it make if you bring in Logan Brown and Drake Batherson? Zero.
1: Yeah, it's a Keep plan. them
0: down there. Get them some wins. Give them a taste of winning. Yeah, this team just honestly boggles my mind some days. Anyways, the Sens will play Calgary by the time you have started listening to this podcast. They're in Washington Tuesday night. They host Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers on Thursday. They'll hit the road for the state of Florida. After that, they take on Tampa Bay Saturday night, and then the Florida Panthers on Sunday at five. Uh, now, taking a look at their trade deadline approach, and I'll ask you um, after I'm done uh, talking about that, it'll only be uh, 30 seconds. Now that Duchenne and Dezingle have moved, it would not surprise me if a few teams kick the tires on Cody CC, especially considering bright oh, yeah. shot defensemen so, yeah. are probably going to be, I wouldn't say a hot commodity, but they're needed. The primary objective for Ottawa is still to keep Mark Stone in the fold. And if they can't do that, get as much of a return as you can for him. And looking back to when him and Dzingo were placed on the trademark, I'm thinking maybe there's still an outside chance they get Mark Stone signed to a long-term deal. But let's just put him on the open, get the talks rolling. So if on Sunday or Monday, after careful thoughts and consideration, he says, I just don't think it's going to work out, they have a plan B they have the talks in place so they can just go to their GM of choice and say hey Mark Stone doesn't want to stay here he's yours here's the deal will you take it right so um I think I think in hindsight that's a proactive approach for Pierre Dorian I still think their objective is to keep Mark Stone in the fold he said Pierre Dorian said in the press conference following the Duchenne trade that they're working on getting some other guys to stay in the fold. My hope is that Mark Stone is one of the guys they were talking about. I also Fuck saw up.
1: that, um am sorry. I also saw that uh, Mark Stone, um, they said that Mark Stone's return is likely going to be what they got for Duchesne, but like a little bit more. Yeah. So, so it's, so, so if, if Mark Stone is to be traded, then the return is going to be a lot more than what Duchesne got, which is already a lot. So
0: that could be something. If if there's a team that really wants Mark Stone for a playoff run, they'll be willing to fork over the assets to get him. However, if the market wears thin because people go to other teams looking for cheaper prices, I think Dorian's going to have to settle. But first, try to sign him. The Sens saved, saved, as I mentioned, $7.5 million in cap space by trading Duchesne into single to Columbus. They have saved cap space following the Eric Carlson trade. Ottawa's got four, maybe five first-round picks, six, maybe seven second-round picks, and four third-round picks over the next three years. They have extra money to sweeten their offer for Mark Stone. They should try everything in the book to get him signed to a new contract. They cannot let this guy walk away unless it's abundantly clear that he's not coming back. And in that case, get as much as you can for him. Anyways, what are
1: your thoughts on uh, the sense and what they might be? Uh yeah, I think I the thing is is like you've kind of like convinced me that I don't know if it makes sense to trade Mark Stone unless like a team is willing to like trade the entire farm for him. Um that's the only way I think I could see that happening. The only way that like cuz like Mark Stone does seem to be I didn't realize this until I looked at him sooner, but like he's 26 years old. Um, and uh, so that's like younger that he's like, he still has some years left in his prime. Um, I, so having said that, I like, I don't know if the Sens are going to make a, even make a playoff push um, in a couple years, but you know, crazier things have happened in the NHL. So th- there is that possible, but as well as you need a guy who can be like a leader for this rebuilding team. And it seems like Mark Stone is going to, it could be the good captain for that. So maybe like five years down the line when Kachuk and Shabbat get, um, get even more acclimated to the NHL as they are already, like, then, like, you know, then you can have like Mark, you need Mark Stone to be like, the consistent guy and kind of be the role model to all these young players coming into the Mm -hmm. NHL. Um, So I think in that regards, I think it makes sense for the Sens to re-sign him. Um, But on the other part of me, just things like you should just blow it all up and like just full on, like build build your team around Kachuk and Shabbat and then see what you can get out of Stone and all that stuff and just see like what's out there. But, um, I don't know, it might take a, it might take a, a bit to, I don't know, uh, it, it's, it's just a tricky situation. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, um, but I feel like it makes sense to re-sign Mark Stone and make him the captain almost immediately. Um, just so, just because that's that's going to be the direction they're going. Because we talked about the, it seems like their prospect pool is going to be um, huge um, in the coming um, years, um, and it, it's it's actually not as bad as people make it out to be. Of course, you're not going to have Jack Hughes, you're not going to have Capo Caco, but you know you're at least going to have um, something um for a team to compete with and that's gonna be something but we'll see um
0: yeah i'll 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 talk i'll talk more about what mark stone brings or what mark stone leaves behind when he is either signed or traded uh in the next episode but there's definitely there's definitely a lot more to this story than just Mark Stone, what he brings to the Sens. There's a bigger picture. Yep. It involves the Sens. It involves their fan base. It involves Melnick. There's hope, a lot of bigger picture stuff that goes on with I the hope situation. for your and sake... It's a, this is a pivotal week for the Sens franchise, and I'll explain it all next week, but um, for a bevy of reasons, I territory hope, needs to do whatever he can to keep this
1: guy. I hope for your sake that... Uh, um, that Mark Stone re-signs with the Senators, but we'll yeah. see. <laughs> um, yeah. the, uh, I, I forgot to mention the Bruins' upcoming week's games. They play the Sharks on Tuesday at home this time, and then they play the Lightning on Thursday, um, at home. And also they play the Devils on Saturday at home. So Yeah, they have,
0: they have a six-game homestand, I believe. Yep.
1: Yep, and then they if like Carolina, Florida, and Ottawa next next week. So, um yeah, those are four homes which is good because we've, you know, we've been um, they've been away for a while now. So um so that's good to see a homestand coming come mm-hmm. yeah. forth here. Um but uh yeah, I think that's it. We'll have a trade deadline special next week whether we have a guest or not. Um so look forward to that. Um, you can check us at Lace M podcast. Um is our Twitter. Um our Oh no, it's Lace Up Podcast is our Twitter. Um, oh no, no, you you, you oh, no, I had to write right. the first time? It's
0: it's, it's it's Lace M podcast, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, Lace e,
0: Lace E M podcast. Okay. Right,
1: right, right. Um then you have um our Facebook is just Lace Up. Um, you can check us, or you're probably listening to us on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever their podcasts, um, hosting, um, so we're on those as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can email us at laceupbag at gmail.com in case you have any questions, concerns, uh, comments. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you would, but maybe you do
0: S- suggestions for future topics yeah
1: stuff that uh, you, uh questions yeah. for us we, we like uh a good uh, listener mailbag uh, coming of course. in that'd
0: be great nice to hear from you
1: yeah i remember when i started this uh, uh when we started the podcast i was like oh this is gonna be great like we'll just have a lot of <laughs> mail ba- we'll have a lot of questions that's what this like this podcast is gonna be it's just all about Mailbag questions, and then I sort of forgot that like no one really knows who we are and all that stuff. So, <laughs> um, so I, I liked how this podcast has turned into something like this, where it's just news and notes of the league. Um, but, um, but,
0: but we we welcome your feedback. We welcome your yeah, questions. Of course, so anytime we will address them.
1: Of course, um, I'm Brett Duboff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in the trade deadline special. At- Episode 161 of the Lace of Up Podcast.